So we can just start if you like. Oh, you don't need to do the clap. I can. Do you want the clap? You just like doing the clap. You like doing the clappy thing. Hello and welcome once again to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, including the title of this podcast, which is It Is Complicated. Hello, Dr. Jane. Hello, Josephine. How are you in an insert time period here? I am insert emotion here. How are you in insert time period here? I am insert emotional lability with half-lives of around 30 seconds to about three minutes here. I have no idea what you just said. Excellent. Emotional ability is that idea that your emotions are swinging and changing so quickly, and half-life is based on radioactive decay. Okay, I should have said brackets insert empathy here that is appropriate to what you just said. (laughs) I've taken all the meds today, which means my hay fever is now back under control to a certain level of control. I've had two pots of coffee and I'm now recording with you. I'm also suffering from the uh, spectacular deluge of pollen and whatever else that's being spread out by all the evil flowers. Given all that, can you tell the people what don't know who you are, who you are? Hey, I'm Dr. J. I use they as a pronoun. I got to give myself the job title Harbinger of Change because I work at Thoughtworks, who are a bespoke software consultancy who let oddballs do things like that and employ people like me. I also got to give myself the gender transgressive non-binary gender queer. Yes, all of that. Yes, I would like to state it on your forms. Thanks to the New Zealand government, I got to fill out a lovely statutory declaration that said that this is my official gender and they have accepted that. What else about me? Oh, I'm a troublemaker as if the previous couple of minutes haven't told you that, and a hashtag queer nuisance as if other previous minutes haven't told you that. Because branding, and because I went to a queer theory lecture once by Sarah Ahmed, my one and only queer theory lecture in the history of my academia, she introduced me to one thing, the idea of being a queer nuisance, and I have just taken that and run with it forever. Imagine what I would be like if I actually studied queer theory. I think if you're going to go to one lecture on queer theory i think you could do a lot worse than going to sarah ahmed and learning that (laughs) do you want to tell the lovely listener who you are hi everybody my name is josephine baird i use she as a pronoun i am an scholar activist and artist i used to make spectacle of myself upon the stage i do that less often these days because i'm not allowed to go outside but i also like to make a spectacle of myself online by drawing pictures of fabulous queers and putting them on my instagram amongst other things I'm also a lecturer at the University of Uppsala Game Design Department, teaching on game design. I also like to think of myself as a femme of international mystery, because it sounds funny. Jay, what are we going to talk about this week? I am in the position of getting my second vaccine on Monday, which means that I can start thinking about unsheltering and going out into the world in a socially distanced fashion. Now, I know many people are like, but 
other people have been able to do that for a year. We've all been wandering around with masks and that. When you've been sheltering, you've been taking a little bit more steps than that. So I haven't been in a shop. I haven't been inside a building. There hasn't been a hospital. I haven't really seen people. I haven't sat in parks with people for over a year. I can list the people that I've had contact with, and it's a list of under 10. So I am now looking forward to being able to at least join a part of normality, but that comes with a lot of fear and that comes with a lot of trepidation. But also I've been inside two and a bit rooms for a year with very limited exercise potentials and things like that. I feel like my poor body is ravaged by COVID, even though it's never been ravaged by actual COVID. It feels ravaged by this whole experience of stress and non-exercise and not being able to get out as much and not being able to do these things. And part of me is excited with the idea of getting out into the world and part of me is absolutely terrified and I don't know what to do. And I thought that's possibly somewhere where a lot of people are at as vaccine programs roll out worldwide, as people start to reach that point of being able to go out But also, I know that there are people who are still facing lockdowns and stronger lockdowns and bigger lockdowns and more fear than we've had here at all. So, yeah, what is normal? I think the simplified version of this topic is, what the fuck is normal? Yeah, because that's a simple question, Jay. (laughs) It's a really (laughs) easy question to answer. What the fuck is normal? Yeah. No, it's really difficult. Because I'm an academic and I do that sort of thing, we could literally talk about the word normal in this context, about the way that the word normal is used in the conversations around the pandemic and what you've all been experiencing. Like people have a habit of saying, I can't wait till we go back to normal is one version of that. Or some people could say, I don't want to go back to normal. Normal sucked. Or people could say or have said, what will the new normal be like? Or any combination of all three of those concepts. They all relate to the same notion that there was a way that we existed before all this happened that we called normal and that many of us called completely fucked up. And for me, when I went into this, I was hoping that perhaps there might be a significant impact on normal, so much so that perhaps normal could be turned into something else, something that wasn't quite as fucked up. One of those things being, for example, that this has shown many employers that people who have been asking to work from home for many years can in fact do that. So I'm thinking people who can't access certain offices or certain office environments, people who've been asking to work in this way for lots of reasons, now have a way of proving that they can. That would change the normal. I've not been going out and seeing people. I've been doing everything I can to limit my exposure because I am aware that should I catch this, the chances of it ending up in a horrible situation for me were way too high. I suffer really badly from hay fever and chest problems. So that puts me at very high risk of having a bad time should I catch this. So it's been a concerted effort to stay away from people, which has meant that I've spent the entirety of the last year socially interfacing with people online, working online all the time, and doing very little socializing. So I don't even know how I'm going to react to being in a crowd of people. 
I don't know how I'm going to feel with people being two meters away from me, let alone being in a crowd of 10 people. How will I do that? What are the norms? The norm has been challenged. I was hoping when this all started that we'd have this opportunity for the norm to be challenged in a positive way. But even the norms of things that we take for granted every day have been challenged and will shift. And that is scary. And that being scary is a normal reaction. (laughs) Right? What is the norm that we want to retain? What norms do we actually want to go back to? What norms would you like to be different? And then, yeah, the norms of our own lives that have been so radically shifted. We could go into the sociocultural aspects of that. We could go into all sorts of things. But the very simple truth of it is it's had a huge physical and emotional impact. And then to consider what might happen after is mind-boggling. I know that for me to have remained sheltered and to have remained fed and watered and looked after all of this time, there has been a raft of people who have been doing jobs and going out and do things that I physically couldn't do in the supermarkets, in the delivery services, in all of those places, which has allowed me to sit here and do my work. And one of my worries is that inequality that that shows up becomes worse and worse and worse. That inequality between the people like myself who are tech workers, I'm in meetings from 10 in the morning till 6, 7 at night, pretty much constantly trying to get work done in between. That's not something that you can do if you're a nurse because you need to physically be there. That's not something you can do if you're working in a supermarket, if you're doing logistics, if you're driving, if you're doing all of these jobs. They're absolutely vital jobs. And everyone was saying, oh, these are low paid casual work jobs. And they've proven to be the key jobs that are needed to keep everyone going. I mean, quite frankly, I won't say that my job is useless and I won't say that what I do is useless, but I am not a key worker. If I am not doing my job, it doesn't prevent somebody else from accessing food or accessing healthcare or accessing something. And I feel there's a huge inequality that's building up around just the ability to have the facility to work online, to have the technology, to have the job, to have the infrastructure, to do my job without having to physically go out into the world is a huge privilege. And I get a sense when people talk about the new normal, there's a lot of people who are in the position like myself who aren't considering what that means if they want to work from home forever, who aren't considering what that means in terms of if they want to constantly have everything delivered to their door within a day. We talked a bit about this a year ago when we were doing some of this. And one of the things that I found particularly difficult with the ways in which the pandemic was being talked about was there was certain terminology that I thought was very telling of the ways in which we viewed each other. And one of those terminology shifts that I found particularly telling and this notion of unskilled workers. First off, there's no such thing. Secondly, it's incredibly pejorative. And yet these were the people who were then being called essential workers or key workers. They went from unskilled to essential. And that's so fucking disturbing, right? It's like, okay, mm-hmm. so all these people who were unskilled are now essential. And how are we treating them? And how will we treat them after all this? Will they still be essential? 
after all this? Will they be treated as essential? Will they be treated as key workers when we're all done? No, they're not being treated as essential or key right now. I watched the UK news and the ways in which there was these applauses for the nurses and the, the medical workers at certain times of the day. Very lovely display of gratitude. And they're not seeing any raises in their pay or changes in their work environment. No. So this opportunity that, as you rightly say, Jay, that this new normal might provide may actually end up increasing the gulf of privilege. And I'm certain it already has. I think it's one of the things that I worry about is everyone here is worried about the impact on the children. I'm like, it's not the middle class kids. It's not the upper class kids who are having the impact. It's the kids who are trying to study in an overcrowded house. It's the kids who are trying to study when they've only got their phone and they can only use their phone for X number of minutes or megabytes a day because they don't have enough money to buy full-on internet access and they're trying to do their schoolwork on this and they're being told they're not getting enough stuff done and having to care for their siblings or as a carer for a grandparent or something like that simply because their parents are having to go out and work casual or manual labor or unskilled labor and I just look at the people around me on my estate who I know are uber drivers and things like that who haven't been supported by the companies that they work for and yeah I know an uber driver is a casual worker and all of that that's absolute bullshit if you're doing that casual work you are so locked into those contracts you can't get out of them those zero hours contracts have availability clauses on them but that's an entire rant aside it's those inequalities are being exacerbated by the situation so any return to any normality or any situation that we need to move to needs to really restructure itself and re-look at those um, inequalities that are coming through I'm disappointed in how much we have not considered what's normal and how much culturally I have seen people long to go back to normal. It's like, no, I'm sorry. Normal was not cool to begin with. Mm. And we have an opportunity right now to change that because we have been given a stark, obvious, clear indication of all the problems with normal by the pandemic. It has shown us that we can and should do things better. It has shown us that it's possible. It has shown us that you can work from home in certain aspects and certain jobs for those people who have access needs who need to do so. Before all this, there were so many people I know who were saying, look, this job would be so much easier if I could work from home. Getting in and out of the office is a huge access concern. It's a big obstacle. Can I not just do it from here? Oh, no, no. Very important for you to be in the office. Oh, hold on. We all need to be at home. Oh, no, that works out fine. So it can be done, right? And then, yeah, this opportunity for us to realize that people who work in certain jobs are essential. They are key. They must be respected. They need to be understood for what they're doing. Are we doing that? No. And the phrase you just used, casual worker, it's another term for this. That's like casual. Mm -hmm. What's casual about work? Are they casually driving around like Uber drivers? Like casually? No, they're not. They're workers who... A company has decided to define a certain way because it suits them. That's why their contracts are written up that way. It's simple. It's pure economics. That's what they're doing. We have an opportunity. We have been presented, at least. I'm not, I've said this before. I won't thank COVID for anything because it's caused horrific, horrific impacts on people's lives. It's killed people in staggering amounts. And it will continue to do so. One of the things 
that is most obvious during this current period where some people are becoming vaccinated is that there are a lot of people who aren't and the inequalities in that are very obvious as well. We've been given an opportunity, however, by this to see things differently, an opportunity to do things differently. And culturally, it's really disappointing when it doesn't happen. So I'm hoping that perhaps we can consider that. And at the same time, in our positions, I'm privileged too. I'm privileged to have been able to get the job that I was able to get and to do it online for as long as I have. It's meant that we can live the way that we needed to do. And I'm really glad because we were very lucky. It's still really scary about going outside. And as queer people, that journey outside is always scary. Like going out again as queer, going out again in this community as queer. And so much has changed in this year of lockdown, even culturally and socially. Like, yeah, before this, there was transphobia, but there's so much more of it right now in certain circles and certain public environments. What's it going to be like walking out the store after a year of that? Mm. It's weird. When I first started studying queer theory, one of the ideas that I really liked was this discussion of sort of a liminal space between being inside, say, a queer space and having to go out into the rest of the world. There are lots of versions of this idea of like there being a safe space or safer space and that the difference between that and this odd sort of other planet that we go out onto in order to experience what other people call normal life. That has changed. We've been in our space capsule for a year. But the earth moved on and some of those ways was not great for us. And now we have to go out into it and experience it without much. I'm a preparation. So I'm feeling the stress even of on Monday, I need to walk in and I need to explain who I am. And I need to have the discussion of my name again with the doctors because that always takes a few minutes. But it's that constant little knee jerk correction that you have to do. And I'm worrying about this and then this part of me going, I have to walk for 25, 30 minutes to get to the hospital. I don't want to have to take public transport just because the virus load's a little bit high in my area. And I want to make sure that I've had my second vaccination and a good 10, 12 days to really build that immune reaction before I start getting out in the world. So yeah, there's all of that worry coming in. And I know everyone is going through about going out into the world, but layer on top of that, I now have to worry about being challenged which bathrooms I go into again. I now have to worry about how people read me again. I now have to worry about how people see me again. Am I queer enough to trigger their thinking or will they read me as a middle-aged person of this gender? How will people refer to me? How will the person in the shop refer to me? When I start going back to the shop, I've got to deal again with all of that stuff that I haven't had to deal with for a year because I haven't spoken to anyone. It's just that being out in the world. There's that whole go out and recreate a society from this reset. But there are people in all kinds of different states and stages of it. There are people in all kinds of different comfort with different parts of it. You know, we know people who are very excited about being able to get out there and do things immediately and are talking about doing things like this weekend. Whereas I'm like, it's going to take me a couple more months to be comfortable being out and seeing people. Until we evolve to the point where, as in COVID, evolved to a stable state, this is a novel thing that humans have never faced before. Our immune systems literally are trying to figure out what to do. And there is currently a 
battle to try to reach a stable state between this virus and our immune systems. What do we do with society in the meantime? How do we deal with that? I think we just be big and brave. Mm. And I think we talked about this when we were talking about queer resilience and the fact that being queer might have set us up for the better rebuilding of this because we're resilient bastards. We've been through so much stuff and we adapt. We find the cracks and we are the glittery cockroaches. There's a chance for us to remake the world, to remake the world how we want it, to not settle for a consumerist society, to not settle for the capitalist hegemony. But that's hard because the capitalist hegemony is sitting there going, well, we have all the money, we can win. It's scary. Yeah. Because the normal is scary, but we are not normal. No, we are special. (laughs) Jay, I love you so much. That's so good. I wasn't going there, but I'm glad you did. We are not. That we're special. No, but it was because I was going to go with not normal as an. Oh, fuck it. You know, I can do the academic thing of like trying not to be too down about this idea because I have been a bit down about it recently. You know, my hope for the future has been a little shaken by, I guess, how little there has been an impetus culturally to change things and to make a difference. And I always love that you come in with just the right word, Jay. Um, we are not normal. We are special. I do think this is a special way of looking at things. And I do think this is a queer way of thinking. I think it's one of the things that I see me and my colleagues bringing to the discussions about how we continue to work at our clients, how we continue to work, what it looks like if you can go back in the office and saying, does it need to be five days a week in the office? Is presenteeism still a thing? Should we be getting together when there's purpose? Should we be doing things with purpose? And This to me is a lot of queer thinking because we're challenging the notions, we're challenging those assumptions, we're challenging that norm that says you have to be in the office from nine till five, Monday to Friday at this specific place. And it's like, well, as long as I'm logged in and doing the work, where can I work from? If everyone's able to do conference calls, when do we need to actually do things where we're sitting face to face? Is that going to make any of these conversations easier or is it easier for me to deal with somebody who is easily getting upset from what I say? Is it much easier for me to deal with them with the distance of a video call? So that's enabled me to have much more challenging conversations in ways that I might not have been able to -to face-to-face because face-to-face my nervous tics would have been set off, my physical reactions to somebody being even just a little bit aggressive would have been set off because I've been bullied so badly. So there's all of those things of like, but dealing with everything in terms of video calls has meant that I've been able to do a lot more and to gain a lot more confidence in dealing with these really crucial conversations, these really difficult emotional situations to talk people through. Explaining to somebody that they're angry because they're frightened is really, really difficult. But when you can throw in, you're angry and you're frightened, and yes, the pandemic is adding to this, so how do we get the situation calmed down? Seems to work. Anyway, that's just a, a random aside Hardly. of making making the best of this. Hardly. And how, do, that... 
Why is that random, Jay? God, you, we need to talk about this. We did talk about this last week, and I'm going to talk about it again. I know we did. Stop doing that thing, because you don't... Sorry, I don't mean to be so harsh about it. I really understand why you do that thing, but you don't need to. It's not random. It's perfectly valid, and it's a really good perspective on this. I'm struggling with this right now. I'm, I have hay fever, and I'm struggling with this. It's very hard for me to remain hopeful about this, because I'm seeing the dark side of it. But I'm so pleased by your version of this and it's entirely accurate and applicable i think it's wonderful please don't think of it as a random aside (laughs) and even if it were random who cares because awesome random and secondly it has an impact on me so i appreciate it i mean i've talked about this before i'm a very optimistic person i think of myself as a optimist in spite of it all Really, weirdly enough, I, I'd like to think the best of everyone and I like to think the best of every situation. I try to see the positive because it helps me get by and it also feels like it would have an impact and it has done and I've seen it have done. There's a difference between that and that sort of like, well, let's make the best of it, everyone, because it's almost always with this idea of like trying to negate someone's experience of like, no, don't be glum. Look on the bright side of being stuck inside for a year. I appreciate seeking out much like you said in a queer sense seeking out the positive the cracks and all this the opportunities to fuck with the normal the opportunities Mm. to change the way things have been done even if it's that just personal like my own perspective of things this has taught me a lot about what's valuable about what behavior i can respond with this for even just towards myself like to be kind to myself that my body Mm. shape currently which is what I sort of started to try and talk about before the hay fever took over was that my body shape has changed radically because of the circumstances that I'm in and I was having these moments of like looking at myself physically and and being you know body shaming myself and like going oh I don't like the way I am I wish I could do these things differently I was like well hold on a second no it's perfectly normal response to the circumstances for my body to be in the current shape that it's in And even if that weren't the case, it's still perfectly valid that my body be this shape. There's nothing wrong with that. It's like, okay, hmm, this is an opportunity for me to reflect on that. As a psychologist I once knew said in a fabulously sardonic voice, this can be another fucking learning opportunity. And (laughs) I love how she said that. And I always remember it because I was like, that's wonderful. And they pay you to be a psychologist was my next question. But no, it was is also this feeling of like, no, I can take this away from this. And it isn't a toxic positivity. It's not just a, like, oh, well, I got something out of this. I have an opportunity to reconsider the normal. I have an opportunity to perhaps chip away at the normal. And that's great. And that's enough. And also I have an opportunity to be a little kinder to myself. That's also invaluable. I like that positivity. I like that outlook. I like that challenge to what's normal, Jay. I never think that's random. I certainly think it's applicable. And I always enjoy talking to you about this because I always feel like I can get that perspective through our conversations, whether you're feeling particularly under the weather with all this. And I use that expression because our child used it the other day. It was quite wonderful because she literally meant it literally. It was pissing down rain. She went, I'm under the weather. And I said, oh, you're not feeling well. No, it's raining. I'm under the weather. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, my apologies. So that was read that. Now that, Jay, was random. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's one of those things of, like you say, it's recognizing that being queer and saying, 
I see things different and not just that's okay. I see things different and that's actually fucking brilliant. And I think that's where we should finish our conversation because I think that's wonderful. Yeah, I think so too. Thank you for listening this week. It's as always a pleasure to have you join us. Please consider having a look at our Patreon, patreon.com slash it is complicated, all one word, and help us make fabulous queer things happen. The money that you give us there goes towards us inviting other queer people onto the podcast, which we do intermittently, and we pay them for their time, and we'd like to carry on doing that. So please do go look there. And if you can't or don't want to, you're very, very welcome either way. And thank you again for this week. Jay, it's always a pleasure to ask you the following question, because now we've completed this excellent conversation. We must now consider what we might talk about next time. And I wonder if you'd like to consider discussing how breathtaking Keanu Reeves is. I saw a meme that came out today, which was somebody wrote, John Wick is the dark timeline where Ted went to military school. And I just adored that because it suddenly allowed me to kind of start to put John Wick and Bill and Ted's adventure together. And I'm just like, oh my God, that is so frightening and so brilliantly funny. It's the Ted Wick universe. We spoke a bit just now of bringing on guests to our podcast. I got a wonderful message from Michelle, who was with us a couple of podcasts ago, dear listener, and who we will eventually have back on. She sent me a I should you not a screenshot of a CRT TV of a video game from a Nintendo, like a NES, the original Nintendo entertainment system that stars Keanu Reeves. And I won't spoil it because I want to bring her on to talk about it. Because <laughs> she sent me these pictures and she said, oh, my God, I'm just playing this. And the game over screen, especially which she sent me, is breathtaking and uh, i want her to come on and explain this so michelle i know you're listening please come on soon and talk about keanu reeves in that nintendo games i can't wait i just now want to start building out the entire universe where ted does go to military school and turns into john wick and how that actually happens and how the ted who doesn't go to military school ends up becoming neo oh okay all right, now this because, is a conversation. Because it's a trouser leg of time. Kind of interesting. Of time. <laughs> oh my God, the trouser leg of time. Jay. <laughs> I can't wait to have this podcast conversation with you next week. So tune in, dear listener, <laughs> to hear this conversation. Dear God, next week. Thank you for joining us. See you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Because, of course, Bill is going to have to talk to Ted and say, remember, we need to go back and bring along the thing. And he'll be like, what thing? And then he'll turn around and go, the thing that we need to do this. And the thing will be there. And that's the brilliant trouser leg of time. That's an idea. Now, that was random. (laughs) (laughs) And breathtaking. Always.